Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. If you're not sure where the Psalms are, it's really easy to find the Psalms. All you have to do is open your Bible in the middle, cut it in half, and you're going to find Psalms right there. Psalm 34 is where we're going to be starting this morning, although we're going to be looking at different parts of Scripture, different parts of the Bible, different parts of God's Word as we get into the message this morning. We have started a series here at Thrive. We call it Happy Healthy Home. Everyone say Happy Healthy Home. And what the series is all about is because we all believe, I I believe we all desire to have a happy, healthy home. If you desire a happy, healthy home, say amen. Every single one of us, whether it's in our marriage or it's a relationship with our parents or our kids, our brothers or our sisters, people that we live with at home, we desire a happy, healthy home. But how many of you guys know that a happy, healthy home doesn't come automatically? You have to fight for it. And that's what, in this past week, we started a series called Happy, Healthy, Healthy Home, where we talk about what do you need to do to fight for a happy, healthy home? What are the kind of skills, habits, you know, attitudes you need to start incorporating into the way you handle your relationships at home so that you together can be a happy, healthy home? That's what we're talking about. We're going to do this series for a few weeks into Parents' Day, even beyond that for a little bit, as we look at marriage, we look at relationships with parents, look at relationships with kids, brothers and sisters. And so if you're married in this place, this series is going to help you a lot. If you are wanting to get married, this series is going to prepare you for when you're going to get married and want to have a healthy, happy relationship with your spouse and your kids one day. If you have, uh, if you're living with parents, living with kids, this is going to help you a lot as well. Psalm 34, 11 to 14. Let's read in a big, loud voice. One, two, three. It says, come my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. I don't know about you, but when I read scripture, sometimes it kind of glosses over me the first time. Let's go back to verse 11. And I want you to read like 10 times louder what we just read. Read in a big loud voice while I take a drink of water. Verse 11 says, one, two, three, it says, come my children. Now, if you have your Bibles in front, why don't you take your pens? You need your pens this morning. I want you to underline these words. Seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. Turn to your neighbor and say, seek peace and pursue it. Praise God. You guys are awake in this place this morning. See, the message I'm here to share with you guys is called learning to fight well in your marriage and in your relationships at home. Learning to fight well in your marriage and your relationship at home. Hey, we just read a verse that says, seek peace and pursue it. Now we're talking about fighting well. How do those two things go hand in hand? Well, I'm here to tell you this, is that if you want a happy, healthy home, if you want a happy, healthy marriage, if you want happy, healthy relationships in your home, then you ought to learn to learn how to fight well. Not just fight, but to fight well. Everyone say, fight well. You know, my wife and I, we've been married now, Charlene and I, we've been married for 14 years now. Everyone go, yay. All right, praise God. 14 years, 14 years. And, you know, I can say this, is that in the past 14 years, uh, I can say that, you know, Charlene and I, uh, you know, I, I really believe that we have a pretty cool relationship. If you believe that, say amen. We've got a really cool relationship. And uh, I, I can say that, uh, you know, we, uh, in all honesty, I think, you know, I am now, uh, I think, in a, like a, in, in a place where I'm more in love with my wife today than I was 14, 15 years ago. Everyone go, aw. It's true. It's true. I, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not joking. It's, that, you know, it's not that we haven't gone through challenges. We've gone through many challenges. But praise God, that I believe that our relationship today is happier and healthier than it was when we first started dating 14, 15, 16 years ago. And you know, this is the thing. Those who are married, you know this, is that when you're married to the person that you love, there are times when marriage feels like heaven on earth. All the married people say, amen. Yeah, it, 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 a little quiet, a little quiet. A little quiet. But the fact is that, you know, very often, you know, when you're in love with someone and you're married to that person and things are going well, it can feel like heaven on earth. But sometimes when things are not going well, it can feel like a living hell. And all the married people say, still kind of quiet. Okay, I was expecting louder on that one. But here's the, here's the thing is the fact is that sometimes marriage can feel like heaven on earth. Sometimes, if we had to be really frank, it can feel a little bit like a living hell. When does it feel like a living hell? It's when you and your spouse are not getting along. It's when you and your spouse are not on good terms, when there is fighting in the home. And, you know, I I remember the first time that Charlie and I ever got into a fight. You guys want to know the first time we ever got into a fight? 
Can I share it with you? Is, that, is, that, is it okay that I share this? Okay, yeah, it's okay. Okay, this is the first time we, we talked about it earlier, is that um, we were about to get ready for our wedding. We hadn't even been married yet. We're getting ready to plan our wedding. And, you know, Charlene, she's a big planner. You know, she's, she's you know, very driven, very, 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 very intelligent, very organized. I try to be the same. And, and you know, and we end up, you know, deciding, okay, we're going to plan this wedding together. And, boy, were we up for a challenge. Because all of a sudden we realize that both of us like to have our own way. You know, so a lot of people have different languages of love. Our, our mutual language of love is to have each other, is to have our own way. Right, that, that's our language of love. And, and, and so we ended up, you know, you know, trying to plan this wedding together. And the first big challenge, believe it or not, our first big fight that we ever went through was regarding what software application to use to plan our wedding. See, see, Charlene, she's a big Excel person. Anyone use Microsoft Excel in this place? You know, like you know, charts, graphs, you know, all this stuff. And she has all these shortcuts. She's like, she's an Excel genius. You know, she she can drive a car using Excel. You know, she can like she can like cook an egg using Excel. She's just incredible at Excel. I, on the other hand, I'm really simple. I use Microsoft Word. Anyone use Microsoft Word in this place? And you know, I I I love Word. I use it for everything. I make my charts on that. I I I plan my life on that thing. And, and so you know, so for for the first couple days, the only issue we were talking about was what software are we going to use to plan our wedding? And she was like, we need to use Excel. I was like, no, we need to use Microsoft Word. She was like, no, Excel, Word, Excel, Word. And again, went from a very diplomatic discussion to us just yelling Excel and Word at each other on and on and on. It was a very weird fight. It was a strange fight, but it was the first fight we'd ever been through. And it was our first introduction to this idea of we need to learn to fight well. Talk process, you fight well. Why do I mention that? Why do I mention that? It's because when, 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 when it comes to your home, having a happy, healthy marriage, happy, healthy relationship in the home, it's about learning to fight well. It's not about never fighting. It's about learning to fight well. What do I mean by fighting well? Well, you can write this down, is that fighting well means that when you go through conflicts and disagreements in the home, you manage those conflicts maturely. You manage those conflicts in a healthy way. And, you know, today, especially, I always encourage you guys to take good notes, but especially today, I'm going to find that you're going you're to especially need to take good notes. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if you don't need to take your phone and use it a lot to take pictures this morning. I do that when I'm visiting churches, you know, when we're on vacation. I'll use my phone to take pictures of slides. I think you're going to do that. You're going to need to do that this morning because there are some really helpful things we're going to talk about, about learning to fight well in our relationships at home. If you believe that, say amen. See, today I want to talk about fighting well, and I want to begin by dispelling a myth that a lot of people have about happy, healthy homes. The myth is this. The myth is that happy, healthy families don't fight. Is that, oh, look at them. They look so happy. They're always happy. They're never fighting. Happy, healthy families don't fight. Is that a myth? That is a myth. That is a fiction. That is a lie. Because the fact is this. The truth is this. You write this down. All families fight, but healthy families fight well. If you believe that, say amen. And in fact, that's the difference between a happy, healthy family and an unhappy, unhealthy family. It's not that one fights and the other does not. It's that they fight in different ways. It's not about whether they fight. It's about how they fight. Because the fact is this, in any home, in any home, conflict is inevitable. Conflict is a part of living with people. And that's because we're sinners. We struggle with sin. We bring all sorts of baggage and brokenness into the homes that we live in, especially in marriage. And so there's bound to be some conflict. There's bound to be disagreement. There's bound to be tension. And the thing is, what separates a healthy family from an unhealthy family is not that one never goes through conflict and the other one always does. It's about how they handle the conflict. And see, last week we talked about... You know, we began our healthy, happy, healthy home series by talking about finding the strength to fight for your family. Talk about two sources of strength that you need to tap into if you want to fight for your family. But the fact is this, as much as we don't want to, sometimes we're not fighting for our family. Sometimes we're fighting our family. We're fighting the people in our family. It's because conflict is inevitable sometimes. The question is not, how can we be a home that doesn't fight? The question is, how can we be a home that fights well? Amen. How can you be a home where you deal with conflict in a mature, healthy way? Let me get me more specifically this morning. Three reasons why you need to learn to fight well. Why don't you write these down? Number one is when you fight well, your home will be a happier, healthier place. 
When you learn to fight well, you know, your arguments and fights are contained. They're like these little brush fires that you can just kind of put out pretty quickly. They don't escalate into something much bigger than it needs to be. There's peace in the home. There's, you know, less conflict. There's, there isn't lingering bitterness that lasts a long time. Is that your home will have its, you know, you know, ups and downs and it'll have, you know, its challenges and it'll have its conflicts. But overall, home will be a happy, healthy place. Home will be a place where you look forward to coming home and being with your wife or being with your husband or being with your kids or being with your parents instead of, oh, I have to go home again. See, when you learn to fight well, it can actually bring the people in your home close together. But the opposite is also true, is that when you don't learn to fight well, the problems don't just stay there. The problems multiply. Amen? The problems get worse. Small arguments turn to huge wars. Conflicts that could be resolved in a day could end up lasting several days, even weeks, even months, in some cases, even years. Conflicts that just never got resolved, never got resolved well, they never learned to fight well, and as a result, home is a depressing place to be. There is tension all over the place, and there is a lot more conflict, a lot more lack of peace, a lot more tension, a lot more strife. That is what an unhealthy home looks like. And that's the first reason why you and I need to learn to fight well is because when we learn to fight well, our homes will be happier and healthier places to be. That's reason number one. Write this next one down. Reason number two is that when you learn to fight well, you set an example for those you live with. You set a good example for your children, for the people who are watching you, for your brothers and sisters, if you have siblings living in the home with you. There's a marriage counselor called Dr. Ted Tripp. He's been, married, he's been counseling married couples for over 30 years. And he says this. He says, anyone who does marriage counseling can testify to the power of family influence in the resolution of problems. Does the family know how to talk about its problems? Do members of the family resolve things or do they simply walk away? Are problems solved by biblical principle or just by power? Do the members of the family use nonverbal signals like a dozen roses to resolve conflicts? A child is trained to be a fool or, or, fool or prudent wise man by the shaping influences of the home. What is he saying? He's saying that how you fight in the home influences the other people who watch you fight. And my question for you here this morning is this. What kind of fighting culture did you grow up in? When you look at the, the family or the home where you grew up in, when you look at the way your parents fought or the way your siblings fought, what was, what was the, the fighting culture in that home? Was it a place where, oh, well, you know, fights didn't happen that often, but when they did, oh, man, it was like World War III. And like, it was just explosions everywhere. People are hiding under the desk. It's, so, it's such a, a crazy, crazy time. Maybe that's the kind of home that you live in. Just generally not a lot of conflict, but when there was, oh my goodness. It was like you weren't sure if you're going to see tomorrow. For other people, you know, they, they find that conflict was something where whenever there's a conflict, someone would run away. You know, dad would leave the house for a day and not come back. Or, you know, mom would go out and she wouldn't come back you know, for another day or two. Or, or, or my brother, he would just run away and he would, we wouldn't see him until later on. And, and, the, and people just kept running away from their problems, running away from conflict, not really dealing with the issue, never really talking about it, simply running away. Was that the culture that you lived in? You know, some people, they found that, you know, in their home, it was always arguing. And it was a lot of arguing, a lot of fighting, a lot of shouting, a lot of swearing, a lot, maybe even violence in the home, and, and you just found, man, that was the home that I grew up in. See, or some people, they find that in their home, it was one where it was always the most powerful person who got their way. It didn't really matter. There was really no room for discussion. It was just, if you're the oldest, you got your way. If you're the dad, you got the way. If you're the oldest parent, you got your way. What kind of home did you grow up in? What kind of fighting culture was in there? Why do I mention that? It's because the way conflicts were handled in the home where you grew up is going to have a huge impact on the way that you handle conflicts in your own home when you get married. For example, there's a girl called Ruth Bell Graham. She's you know, over 90 years now uh, of age, and, and she's the wife of Billy Graham. Uh, and you know, she never, uh, you know, she, when she grew up in her home, she never saw her parents fight, never saw them fight. And, and in fact, they, she said that her parents, of course, out of love, wanted to protect the children from seeing any fighting in the home. And so she never saw them fight. And, and you know, on one hand, it was nice because it always seemed really peaceful. But on the other hand, when she grew up and had, you know, got married and had her own husband, her own kids, she had no idea 
how to handle conflict in the right way, in a healthy way. It's because she never had a model for herself. There, there, there's another girl that I was reading about today who she is in kindergarten. She's, her name is Sammy, five years old. And you know she's been having this issue with whenever there's a problem in her class, whenever there is you know something that she doesn't like or she's mad, every time she will just kind of up and leave. She'll just leave the class, go run away somewhere, hide in the corner. And, and they're like, man, that's really strange behavior. I, I, we really want to talk to the parents about it. And so they brought the parents in, sat down Sammy's mom and dad, and said, hey, we're really concerned about Sammy. Every time there's a problem, she just gets up and she leaves. And they started talking about it, talking about it, talking about it, started talking about some uncomfortable stuff. And all of a sudden, the dad walked up and he left. And, and, and he's like, oh, now we get it is that we, we learn the way that we handle conflict by, the, by watching the people in our home. And let me ask you this, those who have kids this morning, is what, what kind of conflict management approach are your kids learning from you by watching you fight? Are they learning to run away from problems? Are they learning to talk things out? Are they learning to deal with things head on? Or are they learning to just kind of you know, put it under the carpet and pretend that it's not an issue? What kind of fighting strategy are you teaching your kids? See, we want to be people who pass on the healthiest, the healthiest principles to the next generation so that they can thrive in their homes as well. If you believe that, say amen. And part of that is learning to fight well ourselves so that we can teach others how to fight well as well. Reason number three. The the third reason why you and I need to learn how to fight well is because when you fight well, believe it or not, you glorify God. You glorify God. See, God is a God of reconciliation. Reconciliation means taking two opposing parties and bringing them together united. Again, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did when we were separated from God, when we, the Bible says, were enemies of God and we had nothing to do with God, couldn't have anything to do with God, just rebelled, did our own thing. God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, rise again from the grave so that we could be forgiven of our sins and be reconciled to God. God is a God of reconciliation. He's a God of peace. He's a God who wants us to be people of reconciliation and of peace as well. If you believe that, say amen. And that especially goes for in the home. That's why Jesus says stuff like, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. Is that when you learn to fight well in your home, you show that God is alive in your home. That God is alive in you, God is alive in your marriage, God is alive in your family, and that's what creates a happy, healthy home. And that's why it's so important to learn to fight well. I want to end this morning by sharing with you guys what I call 10 commandments for fighting well. 10 commandments for fighting well. Maybe you're here in this place saying, you realize that, man, maybe the way that we've been fighting needs to be changed. Maybe we're not fighting in the healthiest way that we should be in the home. Maybe there's a better way. I want to share with you 10 conflict resolution habits that Pastor Charlene and I, that we've been learning over the years that have helped us to have a happy, healthy home as much as possible. And these 10 habits may seem so basic to some of you, but let me tell you, it is amazing how many families miss these. In fact, you'll you actually find less, you, it's actually more common to find families who don't practice these 10 than families who do. I'm going to mention some of them briefly. I'm going to go into detail about some of them as well. I encourage you to write these ones down. We're going to go through each one of them one by one, some in detail, some uh, you know, less so. But number one is this, be quick to resolve the issue. Be quick to resolve the issue. See, healthy, happy couples have a problem-solver attitude when, they fa- when, when it comes to fighting. They're not just fighting to win. They're not just fighting to beat the other person. They're not just fighting to prove a point. They're not just fighting to show how powerful they are. They're not just fighting to vent emotion and frustration, but they're fighting so as to reach a resolution. And you know, early on in marriage, I used to think that fighting, the point of it was to show Charlene that I was right. That, you know, it was all about proving my point, winning the argument, if you want to call it that. And, and that was all that I was about. And I'd, I'd be, you know, very much about, you know, okay, this is why you know, I'm right and you're wrong. Point number one, point number two, point number three. And I, I'd probably give her a sermon just right in the living room, that kind of thing. And, 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 and what would happen, end up happening is that, you know, whether or not I was right, that approach was not solving the problem. It just showed that I was a lot more interested in being right 
than about having a healthy relationship with my wife. And, and I found in the process that it is possible to be so focused on winning the argument that you lose the relationship in some way. Psalm 34, 11 to 14 says it this way. Read it with me. One, two, three, it says, Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. When it says seek peace and pursue it, what does that mean? It means that in fighting, when you are fighting with your family, when you're fighting with your spouse, when you're fighting with people in your home, The goal is not to win the argument. The goal is to resolve the issue. If you believe that, say amen. It's not about proving how smart you are. It's not about making the person feel bad and guilty for how they treated you. It's about resolving the issue and moving forward so that your relationship can grow and your family can be happy and healthy again. It's about being quick to resolve the issue. And see, being quick to resolve the issue means having a problem-solving attitude. It's kind of saying, you know what, that's our goal. We're not heading into any other goal except we just want to get better. We want to get united. We want to be reconciled so that we can move forward. But there's another part to being quick to resolve the issue. And that means this, don't let conflicts linger for a very long time. Don't let conflicts, you know, kind of stay there unresolved for a really long time. Let's all read Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. What does it say? It says, one, two, three, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Go back to verse 26. Verse 26 says, in your anger, do not sin. What does that tell you? It tells you that just because you're angry doesn't mean you're sinning. Anger isn't necessarily sin. It's what you do with that anger that determines whether or not it's sin. And it says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. What does that mean? In other words, don't let the day end and you have still unresolved issues that you have to go to bed with. Have you ever gone to bed angry? Have you ever gone to bed after a big fight and you don't resolve it and so you go to bed angry and, 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 you, and as a result you have nightmares at night, you can't sleep well, and you feel awful the next morning? You know, there's a reason why the Bible says don't go, let the sun go down while you're still angry. It's because God expects us to resolve issues quickly so that we can move on with our relationships. You know, maybe you're the type of person who, you know, when you get into a fight with your wife or your husband or person you love and and you, know, you, you, you go to bed, you're, you know, and maybe that person's beside you. You're, you're tossing, and you're turning. And you, you're, you're, at, well, at first, at first you're, you're, you're kind of back-to-back. Back. No one is moving, right? Very, very quiet in the covers. And all of a sudden, you're, you're just like, oh. And, and, and you're, you're tossing, you're turning. You want to make the other person know that you feel very uncomfortable and that you're very frustrated right now. You're, you're, you're pulling the sheets away from them. You, 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 get, you get out of the bed. You go to the washroom. You slam the, the, the toilet seat cover. And, you're like, and, and you come back and, and, and you go back in and, and, and just, are you okay? I'm fine. I'm fine. No problem. No, I'm fine. And, and you know, that, that was the way that, you know, for the first couple years in marriage that I was with poor Pastor Shar is that, you know, every time there was an issue, I would just kind of pretend that it was nothing's wrong. Oh, nothing's wrong. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. What, what's wrong? No, nothing. Nothing. I'm fine. I'd give her kind of the silent treatment as a result. And it was a lot of stress for Charlene because finally, you know, those of you who are like kind of clams like me when we're upset, we kind of hold it in. Everyone can tell that we're upset, but we just don't say anything. And we're just kind of clams. And finally, after a few days, we say, okay, can we talk about something that's really bothering me right now? I'm like, duh, I know something's been bothering you. You just haven't said anything. And, and, and a- after a while, you say the stuff and you're like, oh man, couldn't you have told me this like four days ago? Couldn't you, can we resolve this? This is not that big of an issue. And while you've been silent, I've been thinking about all these other possibilities of what could be wrong. And it's only this. Could you please resolve this more quickly with me, JB? If you believe that, say amen. See, what is that? That is letting the sun go down while you're still angry. The Bible says don't do that. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Be quick to resolve your problems. Don't go to bed angry. Tell person, don't go to bed angry. That's the first thing. Be quick to resolve the issue. Number two, be a good listener. Be a good listener. Oh, sounds so basic, but oh my goodness, how many people don't do that? See, you can't solve the problem without first understanding the problem. And you can't understand the problem unless you listen first. Being a good listener. James 1.19 says it this way. It says, it, read in loud voice, one, two, three, it says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I love that. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. You know, how often do we do the opposite? We are slow to listen, 
we are quick to speak and we're fast to become furious. Amen? Right? Fast, that, 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 fast and the furious, that's not just a movie. That's what we do a lot of times. We're fast to become furious. We're, we're, we're slow to listen. We're, 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 we're quick to speak. And we're fast to become furious. And that's the exact opposite of what the Bible tells us to do, is that we want to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because if you want to fight well, you need to listen well. And that means, guys, gals, when you are talking or fighting with the person who you love, you want to turn off that screen. You want to put the phone away, right? You want to face the person who's talking to you and give them your eye contact. You want to listen and show them that you're listening. You want to maybe nod a little bit, okay? You want to maybe repeat and maybe not repeat like a robot, but, you know, paraphrase. Okay, so what you're saying is this is how you feel. And what you're doing, when you're doing that, you're showing that you are listening because you need to listen in order to understand the problem. If you believe that, say amen. It's amazing how many people are poor listeners in marriage. They'll assume that they know what the other person's talking about, and they'll be on their phone, or they'll be watching TV, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. Okay, so what I just say? Oh, I, I know. And that's the thing, is that we need to learn to be good listeners, because good listeners is part of fighting well. Number three, number three is, this is a big one, never threaten divorce. Never threaten divorce divorce. You know, see, some, couple, some couples will do this and do it pretty often. It's, it's almost like their dirty trick to like kind of manipulate the person. And, and, and it's in the heat of the moment. It's maybe out of frustration. Maybe they don't even do it intentionally, but just because they're so frustrated, they'll, like, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be in the middle of an argument and in the heat of the moment, in the heat of the argument, they'll be, well, let, let's just divorce. Let's just forget it. Let's just, let's, it's over. Let's just sign the paper. Let's just move on. I'm gone. I'm out of here. It's over. Right? And, and, and how, have you ever said that before? And, and this is the thing, is when you threaten divorce that way, you might not mean it completely. You might just be angry. But can I tell you that when you start threatening divorce, do you know what ends up happening? You escalate the argument. You escalate it. I'm going to share with you guys in these 10 commandments. Of those 10, there are four argument escalators or four fight escalators. What's an escalator? You guys all know what an escalator is. You, you get in the mall, you, you go on the escalator, you take a step forward into that escalator, and without doing any much more, it just kind of takes you up to another level. And see, there are four fight escalators that you and I will be tempted to do, which will, without just, just by taking that one step, we bring the fight to a completely another level. See, how is, you know, how is threatening divorce a fight escalator? See, here's the thing, is that you might be fighting over something really small, like you know, fighting over how you should put the dishes in the dishwasher, or you know, why didn't you make the bed this morning, or why did, why did you forget about the kids, or why were you late this morning, or all that kind of thing, all kind of, kind of stuff. But then once you say, you know what, forget it, I'm out of here. I'm done. You want to have that happening? You change the nature of the argument. You change the nature of the fight. Instead of now dealing with the issue at hand, whether it's being late or about taking care of the kids, all of a sudden now the issue is no longer that. All of a sudden you've gone to a whole other level of issues, which is are we even going to stay together? That's a much bigger, that's the biggest issue any married couple can possibly go through. And instead of solving the actual original problem you were dealing with, you've just created a much bigger problem. It's like trying to rearrange the furniture with a 9.0 Richter scale earthquake. Right? That, that's what you're trying to do. There's a lot easier and better ways to rearrange the furniture if you believe that. Say amen. But see, that's what happens when you threaten divorce. The moment you say, I want a divorce... What, what, what are you doing? You are introducing the worst kind of insecurity and instability into your marriage. Let's all read Proverbs 18.21. Proverbs 18.21. What does it say? Read it with me in the big loud voice. One, two, three. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. What does that mean? The tongue is the power of life and death, and those who eat it will, 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 who love it will eat its fruit. What's it, what it's saying is this, is that your words have the power to bring life or death to other people. And your words matter. Your words, in fact, have creative power to influence your circumstances for better or for worse. The power of the tongue, the, to- the power of life or death, what you say matters. You know, I, I, I used to know this couple where, you know, they were, when they were dating, they, they had this funny thing. It wasn't that funny, but it was just kind of strange where they would joke a lot about breaking up. 
and, and they would kind of even pretend it. They'll be like kind of going through a situation, and then they both know it's kind of petty, and they'll, at the end, they'll go, okay, time to break up. Time to break up. Let's break up now. And for some reason, they got a, cut, a kick out of doing that. They even got a kick out of kind of pretending to play fight. You know, like the, the guy would pretend to slap the girl, and the girl would go, oh. It was an interesting kind of relationship. And this is the thing. When their marriage fell apart weeks after they got married, it, I couldn't help but think back to those times when they would joke a lot about divorcing, breaking up, not staying together. And, and this is the thing. Your words have creative power. The moment you say something out loud, like, I want a divorce, you're changing the atmosphere of your home. You're changing the, the content of your marriage. If you believe that, say amen. See, here's the thing. At your wedding, for those of you when you get married and those of you who have already been married, at your wedding, you are making a promise before God. You are making a, a vow before God and before people saying through every season of life, through thick and thin, through good times, through hard times, in health or in sickness, richer or poor, no matter what we go through in life, till death do us part, we will always be together. I will always be faithful to you. And if years later you say, forget it, it's over, I'm divorcing you, I'm signing the paper now, what are you doing? You're going back on your word. You're going back on your promise. You're threatening to, when you, when you threaten to divorce that way, it says something about your character. It says something about your maturity. It says something about how seriously you take your problems. And so, and, and so here's, here's, here's the thing, is uh, do not threaten divorce unless you are 100% meaning it and you've got a biblical grounds for it. Other than that, don't even touch those words because there's power in the tongue to bring life or death. If you believe that, say amen. Joshua 1 5 says it this way. Read it with me in a loud voice. One two says, No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is God's promise to Moses. And now God has now promised to Joshua. And guess what? The same promise is applicable to us as well. God is a God who will never leave us or forsake us. He is always there for us through every season. Even when we're at our very worst, he will still be there. Even when we are faithless, he is faithful. That's the kind of God that we have. That's the kind of God who cares for you and for me. Maybe you've been going through a really tough time recently. Maybe you've lost someone you love. Maybe you went through a breakup. Maybe, you know, someone in your life left you, maybe something beyond your control. And, and this is the thing, you ought to know today that God is a God who will never leave you or forsake you. If you believe that, say amen. He is always with you. And so men in this place, if you and I, if we are called to love our wives like Christ loved the church and Christ promises never to leave or forsake the, 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 his bride, then who are you to threaten divorce? Who, who are you to go, well, I don't know, just, I just don't feel right anymore. It's over. See, this is the thing. You're doing the most unchrist-like thing by leaving that way. And so let's be careful with the words that we speak because your words have the power of life and death. If you believe that, say amen. This is helpful in this place this morning. Number four. Number four is avoid name-calling and abusive language. This is the second fight escalator. You don't have to do a lot to call people names. You don't have to do a lot to speak abusively or contemptuously toward another person. But the moment you do so, the moment you say, you're so stupid. The moment you say, you're an idiot. The moment you say, how could you be such an idiot? And, and you just do whatever it is. When, the moment you see, say those kind of degrading words to the other person, all of a sudden, you're escalating the fight. The fight goes to another level. And what you're doing is this. is You, you, you need to learn. You and I, we need to learn that part of fighting well is respecting the value and the worth of the person that you're fighting with. And that doesn't mean that you don't have disagreements. Of course you have disagreements. But what it means is that when the two of you disagree or have an issue, you still treat one another with love and respect. Amen. It means, it means don't use degrading or abusive language. It means, you know, it, it means you know, be respectful in the words that you choose. Proverbs 15, 1 says it this way. Read in a loud voice with you. 1, 2, 3, it says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Number five, and it's, it has to do with Proverbs 15, 1 as well. Number five is this. Don't raise your voice or get physically abusive. That's the third 
fight escalator. The moment you start to raise your voice, or even more than that, if you start to get physically abusive with the other person, man, you've escalated to a completely new level. And see, one of the things I've learned is that it's not just about what you say in marriage, it's about how you say it. You know, whenever, you know, in our, you know, whenever Charlene and I in our, in our first few years of marriage would, would argue, you know, one of the things that amazes me was like how often we'd look back and go, man, actually the reason why I was mad wasn't about what you said, it was by the way you said it. It was, it was how you said it. It was your tone. It was, it was how you raised your voice or it was the timing. And you know, you're going to find this is that so much of fighting well is about the way you say things, not just what you say. And so even if it means biting your tongue and taking a few deep breaths before you speak, do it if it means you can speak a gentle answer because a gentle answer is what it is it turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. If you believe that, say amen. Number six, number six, speak honestly and accurately. Don't exaggerate. Do you know that exaggeration is the fourth fight escalator? It's when you say something, you always, you, you always forget. You're always late. You never think of me. What, what is that? That's you know, in very general terms. You're saying you're always that way. You're never this way. What is that? That is called exaggeration. And instead of helping the person who's listening to you understand what your real problem is, you're just making the problem seem a lot bigger than it is, and you're actually confusing the person a lot more. If you believe that, say amen. See, when when you make exaggerations that way, you're not helping the person understand what the real issue is. In fact, you're just making them angry. Because you're like, what do you mean I'm always selfish? What about the time I did this and that and this? What, what, what are the times when I, when, when I, when I ran your bathwater and I, I, I cut your toenails? And what, what, what about that time when I, I picked you up from school? What about that? And, 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 and so, and so what, what, what you do when you exaggerate is you just confuse the argument. And you start to make the person feel really defensive. Like, what do you mean I'm never that way? What do you mean I'm always that way? Because so instead of making big, broad generalizations, what do you want to do? Is that you want to go, okay, okay, be specific about the situation. Say, so, you know, when, when you don't eat the breakfast that I make, I feel like you take me for granted. You know, when you, you know, show up late to our dates, I feel like I don't really matter to you. Or, you know, when you don't greet me in the morning, you just ask me for the newspaper, you know, I, I feel disrespected. What is that? You're, you're, spe- you're specifying the problem. You're, getting very, you're getting, get, getting very laser sharp on, okay, this is the issue. What can we do about it? That's about speaking honestly and accurately. Let's, let's look at Ephesians 4, 15. What does it say? It says, read it with me in a big loud voice. One, two, three. It says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is is Christ. We underline those words, speaking the truth in love. It's about learning to speak honestly and accurately, lovingly and gently, not exaggerating. Not exaggerating. Don't escalate the fight by exaggerating. Number seven, number seven, acknowledge the other person's feelings. See, over and over you're going to find when you read the Bible that there's this huge emphasis on compassion, showing compassion to the other person. And part of being compassionate is about verbally acknowledging how the other person feels. That's why it's not on the screen, but, you know, Romans 12, Paul says, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. What's he talking about? He's talking about, you know what? Have compassion for the way that someone else feels. And if you're in a fight with someone, one, one thing I find is this, guys, like when you're fighting with your girlfriend, where you're fighting with your wife, the thing that your girlfriend and wife wants you to know isn't just what happened. They want you to know how you feel. They, they, they want you to know how, how, how she felt in that moment. And they, they, they want you to be able to understand how she felt so that you can be there to comfort her after the fact. And I believe guys are the same way as well. Girls, is, is that when you're fighting with your guy, don't just kind of, kind of like, okay, okay, that, that, that's, that's what happened. Okay, fine, let's just move on. You want to understand how that person's feeling. And so, hey, and say, hey, guys, like, you know, let, 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 like, baby, can I let me just understand what you're saying? Is that when, when I showed up late to that appointment, and you reminded me already, you felt like I don't really, it doesn't matter what you say. You felt like your words don't really mean anything to me. And I, I'm so sorry. Like, baby, I'm so, I'm so sorry, right? I'm so sorry, I, I, because your, your words absolutely mean something to me. Your words matter so much to me. I was, it was my bad, I'm sorry. What is that? That is acknowledging the other person's feelings. If you believe that, say amen. 
right? It's learning to say, okay, I'm not just understanding the situation, but I'm understanding how you felt in that situation. And once you do that, you get a teammate instead of an enemy. Verse, or not verse 8, but commandment 8. Commandment 8, be quick to admit when you're wrong. You know, while some things we do can escalate a fight, a good apology, I find, can disarm a fight. Is that that was, in fact, the first piece of marriage advice I received my, on my wedding day. Is that, I, you know, the, my, 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 my best man, my groomsmen, they all said, remember the first three most important words in marriage? It's not, I love you. It's, I am sorry. It's, it's my fault. It's, I was wrong. It's, it's my bad. It's, it's those three words. It's learning to fess up when we mess up. It's about being quick to admit when we're wrong. But here's a couple warnings for guys, especially in this place. Don't apologize without knowing what you're apologizing for. All right? Don't just be like, oh, she's mad. I'm sorry. What are you sorry about? Uh, I don't know. I'm just sorry. I, I, I must have done something wrong. No, see, see that, that's not going to help. Well, girls, would that help? No, it's not going to help. See the, see, the girl wants to know what you're sorry for. So you want to first be a good listener. You understand the situation first. You acknowledge, hey, I'm so sorry that, you know, when, when, when I said I would do that for you and I forgot, that made you feel like, man, like it's super disappointed. I'm so sorry. And then, you know, it was my bad. My bad. All right? And, and that, that's learning to admit when you're wrong in a way that means something to the other person. Let's all read Proverbs 28, 13 together. What does it say? It says, one, two, three. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And so let, let's just practice. For those of you, I know that sometimes saying I'm sorry is a really tough thing to say. Like I said, sorry can be the hardest word Elton John once wrote. And, and, and so let, let me just practice right now, just, just so I can hear, I, I can hear you guys hear, say I, I, I'm sorry so that I know that you guys are able to say it. So, so get the guys to say this. So, uh, guys, repeat after me. Say, I, you say, I was wrong. Or, baby, I'm sorry. Say it again. Baby, it's my fault. Baby, it won't happen again. Okay, girls, you're feeling pretty good right now? Yeah? Okay, okay girls, let's try that. Girls, you repeat after me. You can say, I am sorry. Honey, it was my fault. It won't happen again. My bad. I made a mistake. See, that wasn't so hard. That wasn't so hard, was it? Some of you are about to vomit right now. You're like, oh, I, uh, I'm and, and, and see, this, it's not that hard because when you learn to fess up when you mess up, you disarm the argument and you go from escalating the fight to getting to a place of peace and harmony in your relationship. If you believe that, say amen. Number nine, number nine. Hopefully this is helpful for you guys in this post. Choose your battles wisely. Not everything is worth fighting about. You know, over the past 14 years of marriage, 16 years of dating, Pastor Charlie and I, we have, we, we've, we've, we've had to talk about a lot of things. We've had to, you know, uh, you know, had good, heated conversations about things like how fast the windshield wiper should be, okay? So, you know, for example, Pastor Charlene, a single drop of rain on the windshield requires the fastest speed on the, wi- on the window wiper. For me, I live by faith and not by sight, and so... I, 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 don't, I don't need the window wiper to be going all the time. I can just believe that I see what's in front of me, all right? And, and, and we, we have to kind of meet in the middle that way. We ought to meet in the middle because not everything is worth fighting for. We, we fought about how to load the dishwasher. See, like Pastor Charlene, she, she's very, very, uh, you know, intentional about, okay, the bowls need to be stacked this particular way to maximize the, 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 the square footage of this dishwasher. We need, to, we need to be very, very precise. And I'm like, okay, as long as it gets washed, I'm okay. And so I'll just throw stuff in. And we've, we've had to come up with a, an agreement on how, how to do that. We fought over the, over the color that our carpet should be in our home, right? So she, she's like, you know, oh, this is fashion forward. I'm like, no, it's poo brown. And, 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 and we, we, we'll go through that. And, and after time, over time, we've come to this realization, which is that not everything's worth fighting about. Amen. Not everything's worth fighting about. Some things are simply left to go, you know what, just laugh, laugh it off and move on. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 26 28. This is our game time passage this morning, by the way. It says this. Read it with me. One, two, three. It says, Abner called out to Joab, must the sword devour forever? Don't you realize that this will end in bitterness? How long before you order your men to stop pursuing their brothers? Verse 27, Joab answered, as surely as God lives, if you had not spoken, the 
men would have continued the pursuit of their brothers until morning. Verse 8, verse 28. So Joab blew the trumpet, and all the men came to a halt. They no longer pursued Israel, nor did they fight anymore. Go back to verse 26. It's talking about a guy called Abner. Verse 26. And Abner called out to Joab, must the sword devour forever? Don't you realize that this will end in bitterness? How long before you order your men to stop pursuing their brothers? See, Abner, he's the commander of the armies of the of, of Ishbosheth, who's one of the kings of Israel at the time. Joab, he's the commander of David's men, King David. There are two kings in Israel at the time. They're fighting one another. And Abner, you know, Abner's not a perfect guy. In fact, you're going to find, as we look into the days ahead of our game booklet, is that you're going to find that Abner had a lot of faults. But one of the things where he, that he did well in 2 Samuel chapter 2 was that he was the closest thing to a peacemaker that you will find in 2 Samuel chapter 2. Everyone else is bent on fighting. And Abner's like, okay, do we need to really fight this way? Is it really necessary? It's not because he's scared of fighting. It's because he's like, you know, is it really worth it? Do we really need to? And so Abner, three separate occasions, he tries to find a creative solution to say, you know what, instead of fighting it all out like an all-out World War III, we're going to find a different way to do this. And finally, he goes to Joab, the commander of the other side, and says, hey, what, what, how long are we going to keep on fighting this way? It's, it's just not worth it anymore. Let's just move on. Let's just keep on going, and let's just let bygones be bygones because it's not worth fighting and losing more people and losing more life over it. If you believe that, say amen. And that's what Abner did. In the same way, sometimes you and the people in your home have to make the same call, which is to say, okay, big, big thing, small thing, whatever it is, sometimes we just need to move on instead of bickering over every little simple thing that, we, that, that, that could be argued about. You have the wisdom to let it go. There's a time for war and a time for peace. See, as Abner learned, sometimes the best thing you can do is to call a truce. Sometimes the best thing you can do is say, okay, all right, let's stop talking about it. Let's stop fighting about it. There's no way we're going to solve it. Hindsight is always 20-20. Let's just move on to more important things. If you believe that, say amen. <clears throat> Commandment 10. Last commandment today. Just as Moses had his 10 commandments, I'm giving you 10 commandments on fighting well. Commandment number 10 is this. Be quick to forgive. Be quick to forgive. You know, after all said and done, sometimes the only thing that's left to do is to forgive. What do I mean by forgive? To forgive doesn't mean that you pretend it never happened. Forgive doesn't mean necessarily that you forget and it doesn't hurt anymore. But forgive means that you let go of the debt that the other person had owed you before. It means that you release that person and you surrender the anger that you felt toward that person for what they did so that you can move on. See, this is the thing. Forgiving others doesn't set them free as much as it sets you free. It allows you to move on with life. Let me ask you a question in this place. Is there someone in your home that you need to forgive? Maybe you've already talked about it. Maybe you've argued tons and tons over it, but you've never really forgiven that person. You're still in that place where secretly you harbor a grudge for, against them for what they did. Secretly, there's bitterness in your heart because they did what they did. And oh, how they could, I'm so mad. Still, even, even to this day, I'm still so mad. You've got to let that go. Because until you let that go, it's going to be a bondage in your life. It's just, just like Ephesians 4 is saying, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and don't let the devil have a foothold in your life. When you hang on to a grudge in your life, it's like giving Satan a door into your life. It's like giving Satan a foothold where he has like a, a, a door stopper on the door of your heart and he can kind of come in and out anytime he wants. That's what happens when you hang on to grudges is that it doesn't just hurt you, but it hurts the relationships around you. And so it's so important to learn to forgive. Is there someone in your home, in your family, that you need to forgive? Ephesians 4.32 says it this way. Read in a loud voice with you. One, two, three, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Let me put it this way. For those of you who struggle with forgiveness, for those of you who like, I, you know, I can't forgive him for what he did. Can I tell you this? You will never have to forgive anyone more than how much God has already forgiven you. You will never have to forgive anyone more than how much God has already forgiven you. Is that you might feel like that person owes you so much. You want you owe God even more. 
But God said, because I love you, because I don't want to be stuck in the past, I want to move on to a healthy, happy relationship with you, I'm going to forgive. That's why he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you, to forgive you of your sins, so that now he's not looking at you and, and, and taking your sins and hanging them over your head anymore, secretly you know, being begrudging you, you know, giving you the silent treatment because he's still mad at you. No, none of that. It's all the wrath of God was placed on Jesus Christ when he hung and died on the cross, so that every sin could be forgiven. All of God's wrath was exhausted on the cross where Jesus died. And if Jesus is, if Jesus loved us and forgave us that way, the fact is this, what he asks us to do is so much smaller than that. Ruth Bell Graham, the lady I talked about before, wife of Billy Graham, she, she, she says this, she says, a happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. Notice it doesn't say happy marriage is, is a union of two perfect people or, or two people who always get along. Rather, she says, a happy marriage is the union of two people who are just really good at forgiving one another, who are really good at just bearing with one another in love, who are really good at putting up with one another, who are really good at saying, okay, that's in the past, but today's a new day. Let's move on. A happy marriage and a happy home is the union of people who learn to forgive the way that Christ forgave us. If you believe that, say Amen. I know that some of you in this place have gone through some tremendous hurt. Some of you in this place may have gone through, you know, incredible disappointment, maybe some, you know, difficult things that you would not wish upon your worst enemy, and they happen to you. But can I tell you this? Is that there is nothing that the presence of God cannot heal. There is nothing that the love of God cannot conquer. There is nothing that the mercy of God is too small for. If you will bring your hurt to Jesus Christ, you will give your life to him. He will give you the power to do what you can't do yourself. He will give you the power to let go, to forgive, and to surrender your hurt to him. If you believe that, say amen. Those are 10 commandments for fighting well. And I pray that here at Thrive Church, that every marriage would be a happy, healthy marriage because we learn to fight well. I pray that every home, every parent-child relationship would be a happy, healthy one because we learn to fight well. Not avoid conflict, not run away at the first sign of tension, but we learn to deal with things head on and we learn to love one another through it and we learn to communicate well and we learn to fight well. If you believe that, say amen. Let's all stand. Let's respond to God here in this place together right now.